As you know, I have been speaking about the marriage supper of the Lamb and also about the guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And as I said last week, those who will be waiting on the tables at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The theme is, is so tremendous. You know, I just bubble in these things as I go over them because they thrill my heart so. And uh, the more I study, the more blessed they become to me. And it's always fresh and new. May I say that? It's never old. Never old. Is there anything more exciting than to know as a believer in Christ that I'm going to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb? What could be more glorious than this? To know that my bridegroom, even Christ, and the church which is his bride shall be gathered together and that God makes sure that we understand that that precious marriage supper of the Lamb is a thing which is to come. I'm not going to go over the progression of events. I've done that many times to tell you where the marriage supper of the Lamb is to be, but it will be just prior to the introduction of the millennial reign of Christ upon earth for 1,000 years. So the marriage supper of the Lamb is coming at the end of great tribulation and prior to the great millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Uh, let me just read the portion and then I would like to go on from there because we were speaking about the great guests at the marriage supper and then the servants at the marriage supper. Now, the believers will be the bride. Now, if you're going to use your natural mind, you might as well fly out the window. Anybody that tries to use a natural mind to understand the things of God can't do it. It's not possible. The scripture says the natural mind cannot see the things of God. The carnal mind, the fleshly mind cannot see the things of God for they're spiritually discerned. And so if you sit there and you, you know, it's sort of you say, ah, it's way out. That's because the mind, you're using a little finite brain inside a little teeny skull that doesn't know a thing. What can you do? What is man, the word of God says, that thou shouldst consider him? Isn't it amazing that we try our little finite brains living in a little pinpoint in time and with that little equipment you're going to decide all about life, eternity, and all the rest. Could you ever think of anything more foolish? If it be not by revelation, it's by nothing. If God does not reveal it to us, it's nothing. And so, when we read these portions, there must be that spiritual understanding. Now, spiritual understanding only comes from the new birth. When we're born again, when we come to Christ and receive him as our personal Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit and he will guide you into all truth. And it will not, in any sense then, be fairy taleish. Paul speaks of people who look at the scriptures as old wives' fables. The reason is they have not been born again. If you really have the Spirit of God dwelling in your breast, you don't have a bit of problems. It's a great, great joy, isn't it? 
I don't know why God ever allowed me <laughs> to be redeemed, to be cleansed in His precious blood, and then to give me the privilege of proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. God's great gift to my heart was faith. Well, if I'd pray for anything, I'd pray for faith, you see. The faith. Not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he hath saved us. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that faith is not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so once that faith has come into your heart, it doesn't mean that down through the rest of your life, you will not be questioning, but you will be finding your answers from the Word of God. That's wonderful. I love questioning hearts. But oh, how blessed to know that God has the answer to the questioning Christian heart. To the questioning unsaved heart, there's only one answer, and that is the gospel. Remember, the gospel is for the world, that the world might be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the gospel for the world. But the epistles, the whole word of God, is for the family of God and the children of God. So the gospel's for the world, and then all the truths of God become real. There's no value to reading Revelation to try to understand it. I know people read the book of Revelation and end up in despair. Why? Not been born again. The new birth. Jesus says, I will give you my spirit, and he it is who will guide you into all truth. If you try to seek from the word of God that which is to bless your heart, it must come through the Holy Spirit of God. So as we read this portion, it's so precious to know that there is the bride of Christ, and that's composed of all the believers in this great church age. The church is the bride of Christ, Paul says. The church, he says, is Christ's body. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, and members one of another. And this is the very joining together of a bride and a bridegroom. Ye too shall be one flesh. And so Jesus speaks to his father and says, Father, that we all may be one, I and them and thou and me. And how blessed, I, you know, I could just stay here and talk about the blessedness of this relationship of having Christ in your breast. Do you know it this morning if you have him or not? You don't have to sit here and guess, you know. You know while I'm speaking whether Christ dwells in your breast by faith because you have that tremendous joy in your heart of knowing that life has rhyme and reason and destiny. I feel sorry for the world. No answers. Mankind worse off with all of its advancements than it has ever been in its history, fearing destruction. The greatest scientists of this earth are writing thesis that tell us that they fear that 20 years will find any men upon the earth. Never in history has there ever been an armament building program that has an end in great conflict. It is not economically sound, is the politics. 
from Christ's end, he says, there shall be wars and rumors of wars unto the very end. We don't see anything coming about, do we, that's going to stop wars? Have you seen anything recently? All I see in the last week or so is that Russia will have more than we have by 1975 unless we start building now our armaments and continue building at this pace. Russia will surpass us. So don't tell me that war is going to cease. The Lord Jesus says it will not cease until the Son of Man comes. And with all that I think of our young people and their desire to have no war, I can assure you I desire the same. But a man is not a warmonger because he believes the Word of God and what Christ has to say about war. Because all we're saying is that man's heart is of such a character. And the Word of God makes it clear in James, where cometh wars upon you, but out of your own lust and your own greed. And so, beloved, we can see the picture developing, but I want to create the picture that is for God's children. Oh, I'm so thankful. Listen. Seventh verse of Revelation 19. Let us be glad, oh, and rejoice. Huh. Are you glad and do you rejoice this morning? Christian, do you really? You've got a mom and dad who love the Lord. Well, that's not going to get you in. <laughs> Young folks, it's your own decision. Mother and dad, do you so reflect Christ in the home? It says, let us be glad and rejoice. I dread to think that at some Christian tables all is despondency and despair because we know the truth doesn't make us despair. It makes us joyous. Let us be glad and rejoice. Why? Because we know what's coming. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness or the righteous acts, I said here, of the Greek of the saints. And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. And I'd underline that. These are the true sayings of God. Now, as I mentioned to you, there is the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is the church of the living God. There are the guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is the great Old Testament saints, Israel. And then, as I said last week, you may say to me, well, who's going to wait on the tables? There's no one else left. Oh, yes, there is. There are the angels. In Hebrews 1.14, it says this, Are not the angels all the ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? You don't think they're going to stop to minister to us, do you, after heaven comes? This is why they're here. They are the ministering spirits unto the saints. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, he says to the believers, he says, Know ye not 
that we shall judge the angels? He says, don't you see yourself as a redeemed man? Don't you see yourself as a son of God? Did you think that the angels were of a higher creation than you are? You were made in God's image. They were not. They were always ministering spirits. He says, don't you know as a believer that you're going to judge the angels? In the, verse, the second verse of that 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Know ye not that the saints shall judge the world? He says, don't you see this dignified position God has given to his church? He says, you are the bride of Christ because you've been made one with him. You're members of his body and he's the head of the body. Oh, thanks be unto God. What a great spiritual truth for the spiritual heart. I'm one with Jesus Christ. That's why I can never suffer loss. That's why I can never die. That's why I'm not worried about eternity. I've been made one with him. I in them and they in me that we may be made one, Jesus says. And then the guests, Israel, the prophets of old, and then the ministering spirits to the saints. Oh, how blessed. How wonderful. But now I want to think especially of something that is on my heart this morning. You know, John the Baptist says, and he's the last Old Testament prophet, he's not a New Testament apostle. John the Baptist says very clearly that he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. That's the church. But the friend of the bridegroom which stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So John is one of the friends of the bridegroom. He died before Christ's crucifixion. And he'll be one of those guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the angels would be there. How blessed and how wonderful. But I've been thinking about the guests especially. They're on my heart. And so I, I thought, well, now, you know, like I said, there's a lot of unknown guests. We realize that. Most everybody will be the unknowns. But there are the known guests in Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 is a very glorious chapter. I... I retitled it for myself because I know that, you know, a lot of people say it is the great chapter of faith. And I, I thank God that it's a great chapter of faith. But the great guest at the marriage supper of the Lamb of Israel, besides now the bride or part of his body, the great guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb are found in Hebrews 11. And it's called commonly the chapter of faith. For everything begins by faith, by faith, by faith. Over 20 times it is by faith in the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Now, to my mind, chapter 11, its title rather should be where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Because it's an amazing thing about chapter 11. It has no perfect people in it. Chapter 11 is filled 
with people, many of them much deeper in sin than you've ever been. Murderers, adulterers, the vilest of sinners who have been saved by grace. So the chapter 11, why it is a great chapter of what faith does and speaks of the great sovereignty of God. Still, chapter 11, beloved, truly is showing where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. For as we read the men who were saved and who will be part and parcel of that great company of Old Testament saints who believed on the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ, as we look at those names, we will be amazed. But let me do what we did with Ephesians. You know how it is with a novel. You take a novel sometimes, and you know you go to the last page. You know, you shouldn't do this. You go to the last page to see. You can't wait. You know, you read the first chapter, and you think, yourself, I wonder how this finally ends up. You know, you go to the last page. Some people don't. They're afraid. But you get back to the end of the book, you know, to see what's, what happens. Let's look at the end of chapter 11, all right? 39 and 40, the last two verses. For here is going to be a great relationship to this glorious marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, this is speaking of all the Old Testament prophets who are mentioned in this portion. And remember, this whole chapter is mentioning Old Testament prophets. And these, all having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they, without us, should not be made perfect. Isn't that great? They didn't get the promise. They're looking forward to it. It's coming. That glorious day that we're looking to, it's coming. But, beloved, they did not receive the promise that they without us would not be made perfect. And we're going to receive glorified bodies when we're raptured to be with the Lord Jesus and they have not yet received that glorified body fashioned like unto the body of our Savior. It's coming. So they without us have not yet received it. We're looking to that great day that's yet coming. And so here is that blessed chapter which speaks of God's great sovereign grace as he redeemed all these different ones and brought them to himself. I'm thinking of two characters. If I were to spend time to talk on every character in this chapter, it would take a tremendous length of time, but I want to think of two characters this morning. If I can, I'll think of one first and possibly the other next week, but I want to think of the first mention specifically of characters. Now, if you can think carefully with me, there are mentions of many characters toward the end of the chapter, but there are specific mentions of certain characters in this chapter. Number one reference is to Abel. The last of the specific references is 
Rahab. This is amazing. God is going to show, number one, the way of salvation. And number two, the extent of my salvation to even Rahab the harlot. And so in this chapter where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. He takes Abel first. Let me just read it to you and then we'll talk of Abel for a minute. Now notice I'll just read the first part of the chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand, Christian, we understand, all right? Don't worry about the scientists. I love to see them going back 4 billion, 5 billion. When they get back 10 billion, they'll begin to talk to them and say, but in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. You know, you read some frightening articles, if I can just have a little byline here. You read some frightening articles. I read in the New York Times the other day that uh, what's happening in the genetic world, that they're finding, they've only started, may I say, with uh, carrots, and uh, they're getting into mice now a little, but they found out that if they scrape the outside of the arm, the outside of the carrot, and they did some things with it, they were able to create similar things to the one they did with. And now they're talking in the laboratories are already beginning to work on man. And the Times says the amazing thing is we could have a hundred duplicates of a Hitler, exact, or in the science laboratory. You know, this makes me go back to when I was a boy and I used to read those things in the Funny papers, Buck Rogers, you know, and all like that. You say, oh boy, no, it's not possible. But you know, now it's entirely different, isn't it? Huh? That they will be able to create in the laboratory. Remember, they're not creating life. They're taking that which is living and making life out of it. But taking that which is living, they could create an army of madmen, demonic, who would go through the earth and pillage and murder. Why do I think Christ is coming? Well, let me tell you, there's lots of reasons. But when I think of these things, and then I think where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and we don't care how far by back they go, and I want to say this, it is by faith that you understand that. In the beginning God let science do what it wants. We don't care. All God is saying, you are of the Adamic man. You can have your ice age. You can have all the ages before, and you can pick up all the relics, and you can pick up all the bones, and you can put them together and say, look, it looks like what we see now as man. God says, that's all right. I don't mind if you do that. He says, go right ahead. But he said, I want to tell you something. You are Adamic. You are of the Adamic creation. And all that came before. If you want to search and you want to look, you know what amazed me? I, I read in the, in the science thing the other day, I couldn't believe it. 11,000 years ago, that's not so long, New York was under 
the Ice Age. It was covered with ice. I could hardly, you know, you don't think through 11,000 years. Ice covered this whole place. That I read in the New York Times. It's a good book. You know, New York Times is really good sometimes. <laughs> 11,000 years ago. Fabulous. And then I think, here we are. Isn't it great, huh? By faith we understand. And it's so simple. I, you know, I, if the scientist loves this, it's great. And let him enjoy it to the, to the utmost. We don't mind. But have your faith in Christ. Have your faith in knowing that in Adam we all are, you see. And in Adam all die. But in Christ all can be made alive. This is that generation made in God's image. I don't care if there were people a million years ago making arrows out of some kind of clay. It doesn't bother me. Not at all. But don't talk to me about anything concerning God but this Adamic creation in Adam. You and I exist. And in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. All things, notice, through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made out of things which do appear. God made something out of nothing. And any scientist can say amen to that. Things are made out of things which don't appear. God made something out of nothing into something. This is not science's place. This is God's place. Now notice, by faith Abel, Abel offered unto God, this is his first mention now, notice the last specific mention will be Rahab. I won't get to Rahab, but I'm going to be right on Abel now for the next ten minutes or so, and then that's it. Abel. By faith Abel. Notice it was by faith. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which... He obtained witness, notice, that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaks. This is the only one of whom God says he's dead and yet speaks. He says, if you want to go back to the beginning, all right, here's the beginning. Abel offered unto me a more perfect sacrifice. I had respect under his sacrifice. I did not have respect under Cain's sacrifice. Let me take you back to the beginning so I can show you that. Genesis, turn over to Genesis, the fourth chapter. In the first to the fifth verses, Genesis 4. I'll read it to you. Notice here's the story of Cain and Abel. Now notice what Paul has done. Paul has taken this and says, By faith, Abel presented a more perfect sacrifice unto God. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and she bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she began, again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord, you know, see, this isn't something Paul conjured up. 
The Lord had respect. Paul writes exactly as Moses did in here. The Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Now, you know, these two boys fascinate me. Came from the same family background. Same mother and father. And may I say this about these two boys? There wasn't any outside influence, was there? <laughs> you know, unless we begin to talk about, well, you see, outside influences had a lot to do with this. You know how kids are today? Well, you don't understand. Pastor, things have changed. Well, I want to tell you, these boys had no outside influence at all. None at all. All they had was a father and mother. And these two boys had that same family background. Like any other two boys here, like any other family here, like any other daughter here, like any other son here. You've got the same mom and dad. And yet in the same family, things can happen just like this. Number two, if I can say this, they had exactly the same revelation and the same doctrine that saved Adam and was passed on down to them by their father and mother. And by revelation, by faith, Abel presented a more perfect sacrifice under God. And so they had the same background, and they had the same father and mother to speak to them. And I can't imagine anything more personal in the world at that time than Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. He didn't have to look and worry about the nation. He didn't have to worry about all of the dope addiction. He didn't have to worry. He had one thing in mind, and that was his children's salvation. And so here is a mother and father, the same background, passing down the doctrine. And then by revelation it says, by faith Abel believed. How did Abel, how did Abel get his faith? God gave it to him. By faith Abel believed. God. And he was judged to be righteous in God's eyes. How do we know this? Very simple. Let me say this so we make this very clear. Both Abel and Cain worshipped God. Both Abel and Cain presented sacrifices. It isn't, you know, some people, you listen to them, you think Abel believed and Cain didn't. He did, but he believed in his own way. He believed like he wanted to believe. Both boys presented sacrifices. But I would remind you that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. 
Do you notice in that portion in Genesis, he presents the firstlings of his flock. Now, there was nothing intrinsically wrong, may I say this, with Cain's sacrifice, provided it had come in the proper way. If Cain had come to God and brought first the blood sacrifice, had brought first the sacrifice like Abel. He says so. You can read it in Genesis. Why didn't you do? He says, even now you can do a, you can do a proper thing, Abel. He gave him another chance if you want. But Abel so insisted, up, uh, I mean Cain so insisted upon what he wanted to do that he killed his brother rather than listen to God who wanted him to come the right way. We are to come, number one, through the sacrifice of the shed blood of the Lamb. Christ, our Passover, as far as the church is concerned, is sacrifice for us. Now, people can come into Franklin Avenue Baptist Church and they can put their offerings on the plate and they can do everything. They can present that which Cain presented. And the church is plagued even to today with Cain's sin. By works of righteousness which we have done, we're going to be saved. God says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he has saved you. And so, beloved, Cain's sacrifice was improper. Not that it was intrinsically bad. Is there anything more blessed than coming to Christ and saying, Lord, thou art my Passover. Thou hast been sacrificed for me. You died in my place. My life. I now live because thou dost live. Thou art risen from the grave. And I live with thee on the resurrection side of the grave. Now, Lord, I would bring my offerings to thee of all those things that belong to me. Here they are. But you've come properly. He did it in reverse. He says, I'm going to be redeemed by what I bring to God. I'm going to bring my money. I'm going to bring those things. You see, the fruit, I'm going to bring it to God. It's a more aesthetic sacrifice. God will surely be pleased. I'll bring him the best things I've got. Well, the millionaire can give his million. God's not interested. Not unless the millionaire first has said, Christ, my Passover is sacrificed for me. Therefore, because I have a new nature in Jesus Christ, I would share with thee, Lord, all that I possess. Ah, that's the proper order. Sacrifice first. Then the offering. Cain believed in God, Jehovah, but he believed in his own way. He would not have brought any sacrifice had he not believed in God. But he brought the wrong kind of sacrifice. His sacrifice indicated he didn't know a thing about sin and the fact that God had ordained a way and had revealed it to his father and his mother and to him and his brother. There's only one way. When I made your father a coat of skins, your father understood his sins were covered because the shedding of blood had taken place. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now you come to me, Cain, and you bring unto me all of your properties and all of your possessions, and you polish them, and they look nice. But I want to tell you something, Cain. You are a dead man, and dead men can't bring any offerings to God. Only when you've been made alive can you bring your offerings. Oh, how that changes things, doesn't it? You never get at the judgment seat, well, Lord, I gave a lot to the Red Cross and I gave a lot to the such and such foundation and I did this and I did that. And God says, now listen to me. 
Abel, though dead, yet speaks. Ah, he yet speaks. What does he say? Cain's way is wrong. My way was God's way. And God had respect to my offerings, and he'll have respect to yours if Christ is your Passover sacrifice for you. If Cain had come my way, all would have been different. Then he could bring his offerings to God. Listen, isn't that beautiful? Oh, listen. How do you bring your offerings to God? How do you bring your offerings? Isn't it tremendous? You know, God is so gracious. So many people have said to me, well, Cain never believed. Cain believed, but he believed in his own way. What does the scripture say? There is a way that seemeth right to man, but the ends thereof are the ways of what? death. I pray that you really know Christ this morning, your Passover, sacrifice for you. Yes, Abel's going to be one of the guests at the table. Number one, I'm glad. Number one is a son. I'm so glad. A son who had it revealed to him and listened to a mother and father. And he'll be at the guests. But oh, how blessed for you and I to be part of the bride herself, made ready for Christ. I trust you believe this morning. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for thy blessed word. Lord, there's so much that can be said. So often people have thought that Cain never believed. But we know that Cain's offering would have been perfectly all right if first he had presented the sin offering He was doing things backward. Abram's Abel's sacrifice made him acceptable to God. And it was by faith. So, Father, we come to thee and we praise thee for thy divine word. We can understand if we're dead in trespasses and sins and have not been made alive in Christ, then our offerings are, as has been said in the word, dead works dead gifts. They don't mean a thing. So, Father, we pray that with Christ our Passover, our sacrifice, and the new birth and new creatures in Christ, every offering, every labor for Christ that's done is a living work. Let us not be satisfied with less than that. No one here should be. No one should say, well, I'm living a good life. This is great, wonderful. But, Lord, they should be saying, Lord, I'm living a good life because it's you living in me. I've accepted you. I've believed on you as my Savior. Father, we pray that if anyone here this morning might say to Christ, Lord, I want you as my Passover, my sacrifice, your death in my place, that as so many others in this church have done at the door, you'll just say, Pastor, I came this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.